morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome you to this third installment of a series we've entitled, It Is Finished. Final words Jesus gave on the cross, and uh, what was finished was God's plan of salvation for our whole world. And he wanted us to know this plan. In fact, there'd been all kinds of prophecies given about the fact that there would one day come a Messiah, a rescuer, a deliverer, and he would suffer and die and rise again. And so this year, to get us ready for Easter, we've been looking at these Easter prophecies, and today is no different. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an, out, an insert entitled, Zechariah's Easter Prophecies. And Zechariah was a prophet who lived about 500 years before Jesus was ever born, and he gave some amazing prophecies that were fulfilled during Easter week. Now, I hope that one big takeaway from this whole series will be a great amount of confidence that we have in the Bible. At Center Point, we say the Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. It's not like any other book that's ever been written. And one of the reasons is because the Bible has prophecies that have been fulfilled that were predicted hundreds, even a thousand years ahead of time, and they all came true exactly as the prophets said. And today, you're going to see three such prophecies from that Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And if you don't think that's a big deal to be able to predict the future, well, take a look at my NCAA bracket, okay? I tried picking teams. I'd have been better off they had somewhere. They had a zoo. They had a chimpanzee. And he's way ahead of me right now, okay? Just picking, you know, putting marks on stuff. I didn't know what was going on. But it wasn't just me predicting the future. There have been people who knew their business, yet they were still wrong. Uh, for instance, there was a guy named William Orton. He was president of Western Union in 1876. Why is that significant? Because... Alexander Graham Bell came and tried to sell him the telephone, and he said the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication, and he turned him down. So Alexander Graham Bell started Bell Telephone. I think they did rather well. Anyway, uh, but the guy was completely wrong. Another guy was Lieutenant Joseph Ives. He was the one who explored the Grand Canyon in 1861. Our expedition has been the first and doubtless will be the last to visit this pointless locality. No one will ever come here again. Last year, there were 5 million visitors to the Grand Canyon. He was wrong. These are prophecies from 1861, 1876. My bracket was from last Tuesday, okay, and we couldn't get it right. Yet, the Bible has prophecies that were 500 years in advance, and when you see these today, I think you're going to go, well, that's amazing. There's no way that could be coincidence. And there's not. God is the one who knows the future. God has a plan for his son. God fulfilled that plan when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on Easter Sunday. And God has a plan for you and me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that today you would encourage our socks off. And you remind us again, Lord, that you know the future as well as the past. And Lord, you are working your plans in history. And you are working your plans in our lives so we don't have to be afraid. I bet today you will speak to us about some other applications to these prophecies as well. If you'd like to hear from the Lord today, would you say, Lord, I'm listening. Teach me something I need to know. We're listening, Lord. Move me out of the way. Say whatever you want said to us from Zechariah's Easter prophecies. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. The Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday because on that day, uh, the Sunday before he was uh, Sunday before Good Friday when he was crucified, the Sunday before he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and the crowds came out and put palm branches in the road, and they cheered him on as he rode in. Here's what John's uh, account of it is in John 12, in the Gospel of John. 
The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. Uh, Easter happened at Passover. That was organized by God himself from eternity past as well um, because he wanted everyone to understand that Passover was when a lamb was offered as a sacrifice and the blood was smeared on the door frames of the houses so the angel of death would pass over. That's what had happened to the Israelites. And so God wanted everybody to understand when Jesus' blood was shed on the cross that the angel of death, all those who follow Jesus, the angel of death will pass over us too. But anyway, there were lots and lots of pilgrims. The place was packed because they were going to observe the Passover. And so a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet Jesus. And they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Now his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened, and they realized that these things had been written about him. 500 years earlier, where was it written? Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt, not on a war horse. The emperor of Rome at that time, the Caesar, would have come riding in on the biggest horse he could find with a whole battalion of troops flanking him. It would have been a demonstration of power, a demonstration of might, a demonstration of all the glory of Rome. Yet when Jesus came riding in, he came in on a donkey's colt. And that's significant, and we'll talk about why in a second. But it's also significant not only... Was that prophecy from Zechariah 9, 9, 500 year, given more than 500 years in advance, but the crowd itself was shouting a line from Psalm 118. This is Psalm 118, 26. See if you recognize it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was written 440 years earlier. So a crowd is shouting a 440-year-old line from a psalm And fulfilling a prophecy given 550 years before Jesus ever rode into Jerusalem. I mean, you can't miss it here. The disciples said they didn't get it until after it happened. They went, oh my goodness, that was fulfilling that prophecy. Zechariah had given prophecies to the people who'd come back to Jerusalem after they had come back from exile and told them, hey, one day a Messiah is going to come, a deliverer is going to come, and you're going to recognize him because he'll come riding a donkey's colt. And the people will shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all that was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. Now one thing that's important here is a life application, other than the fact that this is an amazing fulfillment, is that the life application you and I can draw from this, you and I must recognize that Jesus came to set up a different kind of kingdom. Because he's a different kind of king. I mean, if you follow Jesus, you're following a different kind of king. That's why the donkey's cult rather than the war horse. I'm in a kingdom here on earth... You want to impress people, you come with might, you come with glory. It's all about making a name for yourself. It's about conquering other armies. Well, Jesus came to conquer sin and death and to conquer our hearts. The surrender he wants isn't a military surrender. It's a surrender of my life. When Pilate was uh, interviewing Jesus after Jesus had been accused and of all sorts of various crimes and people were demanding his death, Pilate asked him, 
So are you a king? And here's what Jesus' reply was. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's not. It's an eternal kingdom. And you and I enter into a right relationship with God through Christ. And when we do, we are adopted into his family. And so God's kingdom spreads when our hearts are surrendered. And he said, that's the kind of kingdom I came to set up. So I don't need a big show of military force. In fact, his disciples had been confused about this earlier. One time they were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And here's what Jesus said to them. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom. That ransom, that was the price you paid to release a slave. In those days, a person, if you couldn't pay your debts, you could be sold into slavery. And if that was your brother or your cousin or your daughter, when you wanted to rescue them, you saved up money until you could pay the slave price. You paid the price and then you could welcome the person home again. Well, the price to purchase our freedom from sin and death was the life of Jesus himself. And he said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we talk, we brag on Jesus every chance we can because he's the one who paid the debt to set us free so I can live forever in heaven and have all my sins forgiven. If that's good news, would you say amen? That's what's exciting about this. And all that was prophesied in advance. And the people of Jerusalem were told, you're going to know the guy who comes that way? Because he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it happened just as Zechariah prophesied. And for bonus, the people were shouting Psalm 118, verse 26. And all this is significant because if you and I are going to follow this king, well, then it means we have a different set of priorities too. I mean, to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're aiming for the best title. Unless your title is head servant. I mean, Jesus elsewhere said, hey, don't store up tons of money in this world. You can't hang on to it anyway. You'll leave it all here when you die anyway. Send it ahead by doing good works. Share. Give it away. If you store up stuff in this world, you're just gonna, thieves are just going to break in and steal it, or moths are going to eat it, or it's going to rust and corrode. So do good things with it, and then God will give you more. I mean, who talks like that? Jesus. Because he came to set up a different kind of kingdom. He didn't come to be this mighty politically, political ruler of Israel. He came to be someone who would die for people even if they rejected him. And that's what happened later that week. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Point two, Judas also fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah by betraying Jesus for a price and later returning the money. I mean, all that was prophesied too. Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was Judas, and he regularly dipped into the treasury. He was the one who kept the purse. They took up offerings for Jesus' ministry. People supported Jesus' ministry. Judas was the treasurer. And he dipped into the treasury funds whenever he needed something. And so, for whatever reason, he decided to betray Jesus. During this Passover time, there were all these pilgrims. Jesus was wildly popular, as the riding into Jerusalem showed. The chief priests were jealous of him. They wanted him out of the picture they didn't know how to do it. And Judas went to them one day they, uh, through a, just a wonderful opportunity. They seized this. Judas said, 
you know, I'd like to get some money out of this deal. If I betray him to you at a place that's kind of off the beaten path where you can arrest him quietly, what's it worth to you? And they offered him 30 pieces of silver. Well, after Jesus was arrested, and this all happened um, late on Thursday night, he was arrested, and uh, then they set up a false trial, and they accused him of such horrible things that were going to kill him. Well, Judas had apparently never dreamed that Jesus would actually be killed because of this, and so he brought the money back. Here's how it went down, according to Matthew. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Well, then Judas, Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. You know, it wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That's why the field is still called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Where is that prophecy found in the Old Testament? It's recorded in Zechariah 11. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum at which they value me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. And Matthew even says, well, that's the fulfillment of that prophecy. The disciples had realized riding the donkey was a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Matthew said, and then we realized that this whole thing with Judas was a prophecy that was given in Zechariah 11.12. Amazing. But equally amazing is the blindness. This is a life application. The sin, the, the blindness that came across the priests when they refused to take the money back. Now think about this. The priests had become jealous of Jesus. I mean, the whole nation was going after him. They wanted people to think they were the spiritual leaders. And here came Jesus, and he called them out. He called them hypocrites, liars, frauds, blind guides. I mean, he just let them have it. And they didn't like that. And so they wanted to get rid of him. Judas gave him the opportunity, so they paid him money so they could murder this guy. Then when Judas gets his conscience stricken and brings the money back, instead of taking the money, they go, well, this is money that was paid for murder. We can't put it in the temple treasury. We've got to do something else with it. Never realizing that they were the ones who paid the money. I mean, think about this, the religious hypocrisy here. They were paying money to have Jesus murdered. When the guy brings it back, they go, hey, that's murder money. We can't touch that. You paid it. They were more worried about the appearances of the money than stopping the trial that was still going on. And you go, that's unbelievable. How does that happen? It happens this way, 1 John 2.11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. If you don't underline the darkness has blinded him. If you and I hang on to hatred and bitterness and allow our hearts to grow hard, we can become blinded to anything. I mean, it doesn't take long. I remember it was when I first started in ministry, there was a uh, fellow who had become critical about me, about some things in my life and other things when we was at a dinner somewhere and somebody had shared what he had said. And so I said, well, these are some things I'm critical about this guy. And then there was a mutual friend sitting there and the next day he came to see me. He said, John, you know, hey, you're going to be in ministry, right? Yeah. And he goes, 
well, that guy shouldn't have said those things about you. I said, you're right. And I started talking about him again. He goes, well, wait, stop. How old are you, six? Okay, stop. Because he had told me this, and I go, well, he started it. And it's like, oh, that's mature. Okay, the thing is, he said, John, look, if you're going to be in ministry, one of the things you're going to have to understand is there might be people who attack you for whatever reason on any given area. But the thing is, if you're going to follow Christ here, you can't, you can't go down to that level. I said, John, do you understand? I mean, when you're talking the same way this guy was talking, because he upset you and hurt you, I mean, you just, and he even talked to us, he said, you're just kind of blind to some of the things you're saying here. I mean, there's another passage in Scripture that says that blows from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Does anybody understand what that means? Yeah. But I was completely blind. You know, you and I can become blind if we embrace a sin really tightly and hang on to it for a while. These guys were supposed to be the priests. You know what the priest's job was? The priest's job was when a sinner came and repented to help them repent before God. Judas brings the money back and says, I've sinned. And what did they say? We don't care. That's your problem. Can I just say right now, if you come up to one of our staff and say, I've sinned, I need you to pray with me. And they go, I don't care. That's your problem. I want to hear about that. Okay, please let me know. We will find other things for that staff person to do. That was the same job of the priests. But they become so blinded by their hatred of Jesus that now they were capable of any sin, including murder. And they were more worried about where the money was going than stopping the murder that the money had been given to cause. Unbelievable. Then Jesus told him, told them, uh, he was talking to some Pharisees on this particular occasion, John 9, I entered in the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they are see that they are blind. You and I can become blinded to sin and so self-righteous when we hang on to things that even in the midst of church, even in the midst of practicing our faith, we can let all kinds of sin go right past and never see it. And so there's a warning to all of us here that one sin leads to another. And the only way to stop that spiral is to repent and say, God, please open my eyes. Point three, the disciples fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah when they deserted Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah riding in on a donkey. Judas, by asking for money and then returning it. And then they went and bought that field they used for a transient cemetery. The disciples fulfilled another prophecy when Zechariah prophesied that would all happen, that they would all desert Jesus. Here's how it went down in Matthew 26. Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. And if you keep reading in Matthew 26, in the next few hours, well, in the next hour after all this, they all deserted him. And Peter did deny him three times. Where was that prophesied? Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn against the lambs. Exactly as Jesus said. Now, again, that's an amazing prophecy that was fulfilled, as are the others, but here's another application. And I hope you take this as good news, that God knows how weak we are and loves us anyway. I mean, I hope you caught that there. Jesus said, all of you are going to deny me. 
but after I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. In other words, you're going to give up on me, but I'm not going to give up on you. I hope you take it as good news that there are times when we fail God, but God doesn't give up on us. If that's good news, would you say amen? Yeah. That very night, right before Judas was going to come and betray him in the garden and Jesus was going to be arrested, he'd gone to pray because his heart was in agony. He asked Peter and James and John to come pray with him, but they couldn't stay awake. He'd go pray and he'd come back and they kept falling asleep and they kept saying, yeah, we'll pray with you. And then they just zonk out. And Jesus told them the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. I remember when I uh, first became a Christian, I surrendered my heart to Christ in college. I told some of you before, I grew up on a farm in Kansas and um, um, growing up on a farm, you don't, you're not always known for flowery speech. Okay. And so I had a number of cuss words that I used very well in this. I was dating a girl at the time, a Christian girl, and she said I needed to stop cussing. And I said, no problem, I'll just stop. And that lasted about five minutes. And then I was so mad that I agreed to stop cussing that I started cussing. Okay, but um, the idea is if you and I try to make a change in our own willpower without surrendering it to God, that's short-lived. And one of the things that happens if you're trying to overcome an addiction, if you're trying to overcome a grudge, if you and I are trying to overcome a sinful habit in our lives, to try to say, I'll just muster up strength and stop it on my own, we're not ever going to get very far because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. But if I surrender my sin to God, if I surrender my temper to God, if I surrender my cussing to God, if I surrender my addiction to God, well, there's unlimited power there. And that's what God wants us to do. But I want you to understand that even when we blow it, I remember that was so discouraging to me because here I was a Christian now and I wasn't able to stop some things on my own. I had some friends come and tell me, they said, well, don't be discouraged. This is why you need God's help. But what if I can't do this on my own? They said, well, and they showed me Psalm 103. God doesn't punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal with us harshly as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. Please underline that. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers we are only dust. So the blank after that is good news. Good news, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So God knows how weak we are, and he loves us anyway. Would you say that with me? God knows how weak we are, and he loves us anyway. One more time. God knows how weak we are, and he loves us anyway. Jesus died on the cross for the soldiers nailing him to the cross. Jesus died on the cross for the religious leaders who took the blood money in their self-righteous pride. Jesus died on the cross for Peter and all the other disciples who deserted him. They failed him. He didn't fail them. It was a wonderful thing for me to discover on all this. Oh, okay, so I take my sinful, ragged life and I give it to the Lord. And that was a big breakthrough for me. Because it meant then when I would read my Bible and the things, I'd say, Lord, I want you to change the way I talk. Lord, I want you to change my temper. Lord, I want you to change me. And little by little, every single day, the Holy Spirit began working in my life, and all of a sudden, he changed me. There were friends that met with me years later, and they said, you're a completely different guy. How did you do that? And I said, I did that by coming to Jesus. And he changed me. Can I give you good news this morning? Whatever our sins are, 
whatever habits we deal with, God loves us and help us overcome them. Now I want to give you one more life application before we wrap this up, and that's this, that because God knows the future, he's always with us and we don't have to be afraid. See, I, I want that to be an overarching theme of going through all these prophecies. We tried something this year, going through a prophecy thing, preparing for Easter, and I don't want us to miss this. If God knew from eternity past that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and a prophet said that 500 years in advance, and the crowd was cheering a, cheering a psalm written 440 years in advance, and if he knew all about the fact that Judas was going to betray him, and that was uh, predicted accurately, and he knew the disciples were going to desert him, and Jesus himself knew all about it and said, this is going to be fulfilled tonight, and I'm telling you about it in advance so you'll know it's happening, well, then he knows what's going to happen in my life too. And if he's always with me, then I don't have to be afraid because he's going to guide me. Here are a couple of scriptures to meditate on. Isaiah 46, remember the things I've done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there's none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. And Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go make disciples yourself and teach all those disciples the same things that I taught you. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I don't have to be afraid. I mean, that was one of the other thunderclap revelations that came to me after surrendering my life to Christ. I can surrender my sins to Christ. I don't have to clean myself up to come to Jesus. I come to Jesus so he can clean me up. I don't have to fix myself to come to Jesus. I come to him so he can fix me. I don't have to know the future. Jesus knows the future. I just have to know him. And then I don't have to be afraid. But our whole world will tell you, uh-uh, that's not the way it works. The way it works is everybody kind of lives their lives, and then one day we die, and then you either go to heaven or hell, but there's really no intersection with God until then. And that's completely false. God says, look, I want a personal relationship with you. And if you come to me every day and work on a relationship with me, talk to me, and listen to me in my word, listen to what I tell you through friends, I'll change you. I'll empower you. I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. Amazing. That's really good news. That's why we're just doing everything we can, even this next weekend on Easter with special services at sunrise and other things to get as many people around as we can. I promise you, you bring a friend next week, I will tell them the good news. I'm salivating for next week now. This is the best deal ever. And Zechariah gave these prophecies so we wouldn't miss it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that Zechariah had, that you gave insight into the future to Zechariah so he could tell the disciples and make them realize it and they could write it down and tell us that when Jesus rode in on a donkey, that was exactly what God had planned. And when Judas threw the money in the temple, and threw it to the potter, just as Zechariah said, that would, money would be used, be thrown into the temple and used to buy a potter's field. And when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be struck down and all of you will scatter, that was the disciples themselves. And so they had complete confidence because they knew that you loved them even if they failed you. They had complete confidence, Lord, that you came into the world to rescue us and nothing was going to stop that. 
Lord, we just come before you now and we ask that you would help us trust you more. That we would so live with you that we can face the future unafraid. If there's a worry or a concern that you have, would you pray about it right now and say, God, I need your help with this. You're the one who knows the future. You're the one who can overcome death. And Lord, I need your help. Whatever it might be, a financial concern, an illness, a relationship, whatever it might be, just pray about it right now and say, God, I need your help. God, we thank you that we can bring all our problems to you. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.